but one of my passions maybe closer to an obsession is Bible prophecy it's one of those things that um, uh, I, I have enjoyed since I came back to church and became a Christian and and I ha- I'm not going to lie at one point it became an it did become an obsession, and I finally had to just kind of put it aside because it was interfering with my Christian experience. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I watch the news all the time just to see what's going on in the world, to see, okay, this fits what the Bible's saying here, or this fits over here. And, and <coughs> I used to, if I was working a lot, I might miss a day or two of watching television, and I would have to catch up and um and and then it got to the point where even during the sabbath hours there are so many things that are going on that it's not a day or two or three or a week that you catch up things are moving so rapidly it's minute by minute uh the craziness that you see taking place in the world have you noticed that um the, the the thing right now that just absolutely spoils my brain is is the the determination of some that men and women there's no difference and they can use the same restrooms is, is that not completely delusional and it's not just that there's a whole lot of other things that that's not what my sermon's about but i i thought i would bring that up um, because you know we we should uh, look at the things that are that are that are going on, and and I use the word delusional. Do do you get the impression that people are delusional? Do you, do you know what that means? Delusional. <clears throat> I looked that up. <clears throat> um, having false or unrealistic beliefs or opinions delusional that's one another one says is a belief a delusional a delusion is a belief out of keeping with the individual's cultural origins and and, and there's a few more that that uh of different uh definitions of delusion but do, do you see a whole society a whole Population of the earth moving towards a delusional. Well, did you know that's biblical? In Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verses. It's quite long, but let me read this. One through eleven says, "Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with our gathering together to Him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure, or be disturbed." either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God." <clears throat> do not do you not remember that while I was still with you I was telling you these things 
and you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Not only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a strong delusion, a strong delusion, so that they will believe what is false. Does that give you an indication that time is short? And it gets better than that. There's another text here. It's in Isaiah 66. That's the last last chapter of Isaiah. And it's verse 4. And, and I have a different translation. And I'm not, I love the translation, but it, it's not putting it quite the way the King James does. <clears throat> It says, I will choose their delusions, and I will bring upon them dread, because I called, but no one answered. I spoke, but they did not listen. They did evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. Do you see that taking place? Do you see the delusions? Ultimately, Satan is behind those delusions, but God is the one who, sh- who, who steers them into it. And you know why he does that? To show you and I that time is short. And that we need to, one, make preparation, and two, give that final call. I just found that interesting. Uh, as I said, I, I, I very much enjoy studying prophecy and the things that... The Bible tells us about prophecy and making the connection, and um, it keeps me really interested in God's Word. We've been talking about chickens this morning. I'm going to tell you a story about a chicken. Several years ago, and as Jason said, it's nice when you kind of live out so you can have a few farm critters around. Chickens happen to be my favorite one. We had a whole bunch of chickens, 60 or 70. And we kept them around because they ate all the bugs around the house, and we didn't have to have the, the, the bug man come and spray. Um, we had a guard light by the house, and, and, and talk about a, a, a chain of, 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 um, of creatures. The, the guard light would bring the bugs, and then other bugs would come to eat those bugs, and then other bugs would come to eat the bugs that ate the first bugs, and pretty soon you have all these bugs in your house, and we had to spray our house about every five to six weeks, or you couldn't stay in the house because there were so many bugs. So we got chickens, and when they got old enough, I turned them loose, and you know what? We quit having to spray the house. It was wonderful because they ate all the bugs, and nothing came to eat, eat anything else except things would come to eat my chickens. <clears throat> And one day I noticed that my chickens were beginning to diminish in number and didn't know by how many, and so I started kind of keeping an eye out there. 
And one day I saw something strange out by the chicken yard. Now I let the chickens run loose, but they still stayed close to the yard when they wanted feed or water or whatever. Something was flopping on the ground. And I thought, what in the world? So I took off down towards where they were at. <clears throat> and a hawk had swooped down and grabbed one of my hens, and he was trying to fly off with her. Well, I was furious because she happened to be my favorite chicken. <laughs> she was one of those that it was as gentle as a puppy. If she saw me heading towards the chicken yard, she would run down and she would fly up on the fence, and when I walked by, she would hop off on my arms so I could pet her. She was an absolute delight. But this hawk had her. So fortunately, I was able to uh, get close enough to him. It scared him. He recognized it. He wasn't going to win, so off he went. But I finally realized it was hawks. That was one of the things getting my chickens. There's also all the other things. But I started keeping a little closer eye. And one, one day as I started in the house, a shadow on the ground caught my eye. And I recognized that it was my hawk friend had come back. So I, I have, hate to say, but I grabbed my gun and I took off out the front door. He'd gone to the back and I went around the house because I wanted to see what was taking place. <clears throat> when I got around to the end of the house and was looking in the backyard, we had lots of trees. I could see where the hawk had landed in a tree. There wasn't a chicken to be seen anywhere except for the rooster. The rooster had actually moved into a little clearing in the trees, and he was standing there, and I was thinking, what in the world is he doing? That hawk is going to get him. And the hawk was probably 50, 60 feet away, and he was sitting on a limb, and he was watching that rooster, and that rooster was watching him, and that rooster was real animated, and he was walking around, and he was making all kinds of noise. And pretty soon that hawk lunged out of the tree straight for that rooster. And that rooster didn't run. And he could have got behind a tree or he could have gone into the... I don't know where the hens were at, but they, you couldn't find them anywhere. I forgot to tell you, before I went around the house, I heard that rooster make a noise. And that, I actually thought that hawk had already got him. It was a very strange noise, but... Anyway, that hawk had leaped out of that tree or lunged out of that tree, whatever they do, and he was headed straight for that rooster. That rooster, had, he had a clear pathway to that rooster. That rooster stood there till the very last second, and then he just did a little 180. And that hawk missed him and just flew, and by that time, I was getting pretty anxious. I thought I was going to lose my rooster, so I stepped out, and the hawk saw me, and he flew off. Well, obviously, the rooster was still pretty nervous, and I kind of watched him, <clears throat> and pretty soon he made another strange noise. And when he did that, chickens came from everywhere. They crawled out of bushes, they crawled out of tires, they crawled out of the building, they crawled out from under the wheelbarrow, they crawled out from under the riding mower, any place, and you couldn't see them. There was no sign of a chicken anywhere until he called them, and they came out and everything was just fine. It was amazing. You know, you take for granted, you know, we say chickens are not very smart. I beg to differ. <laughs> I think they're quite smart. Um, they know what they're supposed to do. I've seen that rooster, he will dig in the dirt and he'll find a worm or a bug, 
And instead of eating it himself, he'll call and two or three hens will run over there and eat whatever it is. And um, it was an am- it's just, they're amazing. On a sad note, I saw a rooster who actually allowed himself to starve to death because there wasn't enough food for the four hens that were with him. And he let them have the food and water, and he actually died. It, was, it, was, it broke my heart. But it, it was amazing to me that uh, even God's creatures know their place, and they know their purpose. <clears throat> Our scripture, when he came and had seen grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them that with all purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. Now you might be thinking that uh, the illustration of the chicken, the rooster, what does it have to do with living intentionally? Uh, Stay with me and I promise you'll understand. Let's pray one more time. Father, guide us. Guide us through this just now and help us to have a better understanding of the purposes that you have for us and that there truly is a purpose. In your name we pray, amen. When God created the world, everything in it had a function. He formed it so that it would function at maximum efficiency. You know, I'm in the cabinet business, and I use this this same guideline, this same principle in the cabinet business. That is, form follows function. Does that make sense? Form follows function. Something is supposed to function in a particular manner. It has to be formed in a particular manner. Does that make, does that make sense to you? I remember several years ago, <clears throat> my, my wife and I had finally gotten to the point where we could afford to have a, a, a nice kitchen of our own. Being that I was in the cabinet business, you would think that we would have one, but we didn't. <laughs> um, but we had finally gotten to the point where we could afford one, and it was going to be a pretty, pretty good project. And before it was over with, it was probably one of the biggest residential kitchen projects I'd ever done. It wasn't intentional. It just worked out that way. <clears throat> My wife and I, we like to uh, have a New Year's party or a Fourth of July party and invite folks over and... and uh, have a good time in fellowship. It's kind of hard to do if you have a little bitty tiny kitchen. You understand what I'm saying? Um, you, you, you can't make things work too well. We had, uh, this was our first time to do this to this extent, so we didn't know how it was going to go, so we invited about 30 people over, and uh, we had a wonderful time. And one lady stayed a little bit longer, and I was visiting with her, and I was when she left, I was going to go help my wife put the kitchen back together. If you can imagine providing food and drinks for 30 people. And when I went into the kitchen, it was as if nothing had ever happened. In about 20 minutes, she had the whole thing completely clean. It was like no, nobody had ever been there. When I designed the kitchen, I designed it for that purpose so that we could do things like that. It wouldn't have to be a big burden on my wife when we invited people over. Um, 
We enlarged the room. It had two sinks in it. It had two dishwashers in it so that things could keep moving through. You didn't have to wait for one or the other. And, and um, it just worked. God designed this world so that if everything functioned the way he designed it, life would be wonderful for all of us, not just a certain select few, but for all of us. But instead, man changed, uh, chose to do things his own way. And for me, that hasn't worked out very well. I don't, I don't know about you. I'm kind of tired of man's way. I'm, I'm kind of thinking that God had a better plan. Everything's in a mess. We don't make decisions using the thinking part of our brain anymore. We use the emotional part of our brain or maybe the impulsive part of our brain to make decisions. Or, or worse yet, we don't use our brains at all to make decisions. We use what's between our legs to make decisions. And society on the whole has become a cesspool of humanity. Um, I'm, I'm sad to say that because that's not what God intended. Poor decisions have enslaved us. I think you could narrow down um, most of our problems today to a handful of weaknesses that most of us suffer from. Uh, sex would be one of them, and I, I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory. Don't need to elaborate. I, I don't want you to think that I'm against sex. I think it's pretty cool. God did a really good job on that, but it needs to be the way he intended. Um, there's another thing that we do. It's called debt. Have any of you ever been in debt? <laughs> yeah. My wife and I, when we first got married, we bought some things that we thought we needed. Uh, they were only $20 a month, but pretty soon we were $20 a month to death and uh, didn't have any money and didn't have enough time in the day to make enough money to pay for all the $20 things that we had. I about worked myself to death trying to get all that paid back. <clears throat> You've never done anything like that, have you? Yeah. You'd think that I would learn, but it seems that we're programmed into thinking that there's no such thing as enough. We don't have enough. We get a car, we want a better car, or maybe we want a truck too. We get a house, we get it all fixed up, then it's not big enough. We need a better job. And pretty soon, before we know it or admit it, we have allowed these things to control us because we have allowed them to define who we are. It wasn't until I got a little older that I realized that nobody ever laid on their deathbed and said, Boy, I, I wish I'd have worked harder. I wish I'd have learned that sooner. <laughs> You know, Luke chapter 12, verse 16 says, And he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, another weakness I think a lot of us suffer from is, is appetite. The things we consume. Some of us are enslaved by the way we eat. We eat all this processed food, and the body doesn't even know what to do with it. We have all these health issues because of our diet. Did you know that your whole life revolves around your digestive system? Everything in your life can go back to what you put in your mouth. It sounds crazy, I know. But the things you eat affect the way you think, the way you perceive things, the way you respond to things, including hearing the Spirit of God. I was at a uh, restaurant a few days ago, and I was eating something called grits. Have you ever eaten grits? It's about like eating paper unless you do something with it. Well, I've learned to do something with it. <laughs> you put a little butter and a little sugar, a little salt, and it still tastes like paper. So you've got to put a lot of butter and a lot of sugar and a lot of salt <laughs> before it starts tasting like anything. And then what I do is I'll take those little hazelnut creamers that people will put in their coffee, and depending on the size of the bowl, and this was just a little bowl, I put one of those in there, and it is just wonderful. And the lady who was waiting on me came by, and she was talking about that. She said, I've never seen that before. Um, I'll have to try that. And we kind of got started talking. I said, you know, grits is, a, is kind of a southern dish. I said, I don't know a lot about it. I haven't gr eaten grits my whole life. This is just something I kind of ran into. I said, I, I understand that there's places in the south that will serve you fried grits with chocolate gravy. Have you ever heard of that? Well, to me, that sounds wonderful because I like chocolate. <laughs> but... Um, Fried grits, what they'll do is they'll make grits, they'll pour them out of pan, on a pan, let them set up, slice them in little squares, fry them on the flat top, and then they pour a chocolate gravy on them. I, I'm not going to lie, I, I would like to kind of try some of that sometime. But she was talking about uh, the southern uh, cuisine. She said, I love it. She said, I, man, I like to eat those lobsters and, and uh, crayfish, and, and I'm kind of, I said, do you, do, do you know what lobsters and crayfish are? She, she says, yeah, those are, you know, those are those, I says, they're sea roaches. I said, they're cockroaches of the sea. She said, wow. She says, they're, really? She says, they're, but they're so good. And I said, well, yeah. I said, <clears throat> I said, you can 
cook poop and make it taste good, but would you want to eat it? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, um, okay. She was very nice. Actually opened the door to talking about family, and she began to tell me about a very young child she had that she lost that was in heaven now. And uh, and I got to explain to her that that's not how it worked. It had been, I would never say that to somebody who had just lost a child, but but this had been many, many years previous, and I got to explain to her how God is so great that that child is resting. And um, I got to pass on to her that there's hope that one day, if she chose, that God would put that child back in her arms. And um, it, it opened a really, it opened a door to a really good dialogue. You know, when God created this earth, it was his intention that food wouldn't be, or would be processed to the point where it is unrecognizable as food. And the other thing is, is he, he created a diet for us so that nothing should have to die. And, and that if we were to, if we were to take and, and, and consider this something for ourselves, that we would be in better health for it. We would function better uh, as people, as a society. But you know, it's not just the things that we take into our mouth that has an adverse effect on us. It's the things that we take into our eyes, the things that we watch, the things that we like to call entertainment uh, that have a negative effect on us, the things that we listen to. Um, again, some of those things that we call entertainment have a negative effect on us. You know, I'm inclined to believe that these guys who suffer, who go to war and they suffer from what they call a PTSD, is because they have seen things that are not natural and it has upset their thinking to the point that they don't know how to process anything. When God created this earth, he had a purpose in mind. Earth was to be his primary residence. He made it a spectacular place. The Bible says that even the angels shouted with joy. And he did all of this simply by speaking it into existence. Before he finished, there was one part of creation where speaking it into existence wasn't acceptable. So God himself came and with his own hands in the dust of the ground, he formed the first man, and then he breathed on him, giving him life. And then when man realized that he was alone, he got to talk to God, and God intervened. And he took part of that man, and he made a woman. God made a woman from a part of man. And, and we like to make fun. We like to blame women for what took place in the garden. And we like to use the term, whoa, man, in fun. But do you know what woman 
stands for, what the definition of woman is biblically? Wow! When Adam woke up, that's what he said. Wow! What is this incredible creature? God said, this, this, this is your other part. This, what, this is what makes you whole. Together, you two become one. Isn't that incredible? God did that. When earth was completed, he put man in charge, and we have systematically de destroyed every part of this planet. In fact, man has done such a poor job of managing this planet that God himself has had to intervene. The first time was at the flood. The second time was with the nation of Israel. He chose Israel to be his representatives to try and help steer man back onto the pathway. Well, that didn't work out either. And the third time he intervened was at the cross. The last time he intervenes will be at his return. As bad as things seem to be around us, we know that God is still in charge. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. There's that word again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to his image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Y'all have heard that verse before, haven't you? Have you really listened to it? Have you really soaked it up? Let me read it one more time. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That sounds like God's in charge. Do you kind of get that impression? There's another really, it's, it's just a really cool text. It's in Psalms uh, chapter 139. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows every knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more than the number of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. That text makes my brain hurt. Let's look at that again. I am, this is David. He's talking about 
himself, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully means carefully, with consideration, you were made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. God sees that little child inside of you. He knows every part of that child before he is born. Skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet informed, and in your book they were all written. Wow, that sounds like a plan, doesn't it? In his book, my future has been laid out. How precious are your thoughts to me. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This may be one of the most substantive texts in the Bible. I think I could preach a whole series just on this one text. God knew you before you were born. He knew what choices that each one of you would make, what paths you would take, what interactions you would have with others, including those who are around you now. There is nothing about you he didn't already know before you were born, before the earth was even created, because he knows all things, and because form follows function. He knew you would function best as a male or a female. And the fact that you are a male or a female is not happenstance. Poke that in science's eye. He knew you two would meet. He knew that he would make a better husband than a best friend. That is what God does. When he came, this is Acts chapter 11, verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Living with purpose is living intentionally. Living intentionally is like managing money, but instead of money, it's about managing time. How's your time management? I have to confess, I struggle with mine. I'm ashamed to say that most of the time I'm way over budget, meaning I have more things to do than I have time to do them. And yes, I am truly ashamed of that. I, I wish there was some way I could put things aside, but sometimes that's difficult. When I allow that to happen, my spiritual life starts to suffer. I start replacing things that I know are important with the things that I think are important. 
Have you found yourself in those circumstances? Spiritual things start to lose their value because we are designed to seek worship. Our spirituality moves from celebration of God's grace to legalism, pride, fight, fault-finding, backbiting. And this one, I don't wish to offend, but I find it offensive. Veganism. Veganism. It is not even a word, but is what we do to replace a spiritual relationship with God. I've seen it happen many times. I started not to even bring it up, but you know what? I see our churches suffering from it. I see people actually losing their lives because they chose diet over going to a doctor. I see kids of good Christian families who are so bent on this type of lifestyle that when their kids get old enough, they leave the church. I don't want to say anything negative about eating properly because that what, that's what God has designed us to do. But when it becomes a part of religion, it is useless. It doesn't do anything but cause separation. And separation was the last thing I was going to mention. When we get so busy that we're trying to offset the things that we know we should be doing with other things, we don't find value in them eventually. And then eventually we'll go do something else. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. It's desire for you, but you should rule over it. Living intentionally is about being in control, not being controlled. There's lots of places in the Bible that talk about living intentionally. If you love me, keep my commandments. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. That's about living intentionally. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of, ev- kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We call that the Beatitudes. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. That's about living intentionally. Goes on to say, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Living intentionally, with purpose, with understanding, with direction, using the thinking part of your brain, living intentionally. Normally, this is where I would get really, really intense. I'd make an impassioned plea, ask you to recommit yourself to an intentional life, an intentional lifestyle. But chances are you've heard that before. You'd probably forget before the sun went down. I'm not going to make an impassioned plea. Oftentimes, that ends up being more about me than about you. I'm going to plead to your rationale. I'm going to plead to your thinking part. Here it is. The evidence is all around us. You don't have to read the Bible or have any special insight to realize that we live in a world that is rapidly falling apart. Today, I've given you biblical confirmation that you have been specially and specifically designed to function in a way that will bring you to salvation when God intervenes that final time. If you see all this evidence and you are still unwilling to make that commitment, then you need to consider that you don't have the gumption that God gave that rooster. That rooster had a purpose. That rooster lived by the purpose that he was given. He doesn't have near the thinking capacity that we have. Now every time you see a chicken, you're going to think about it. You know, there's lots of places in the Bible where God uses the things of nature to make a point. And a rooster has also been used. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. 
You go down to verse, starting in verse 69, it says, Now Peter sat outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him, said to those who were, th- who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, stood, uh, later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of those who were with him. Your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Peter got a second chance. We're kind of at a point in history where we're not going to get too many more second chances. The time to live deliberately, intentionally, with purpose is now. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the things that we can look at in life that point us back to you. We thank you for your creation. We thank you. Father, that you created us. You have shown us that you are just crazy about us. And some of us are just crazy. We don't recognize it. We don't see it. I don't know why. But I pray, Lord, that it won't be too late. That people will recognize how much you care, how patient you are. I pray, Lord, that they'll also recognize that time is short. And that they'll reach toward you. And they'll look at their own lives. Myself included. The things that I have overwhelmed myself with are way too many. Help us, Lord, to make those good decisions. And Lord, for those who may be listening online that have, have made decisions that have been detrimental to their life or the lives around them. I want to just say to you that there is nothing that you can do to mess your life up so bad that God can't fix it if you'll just give him the chance. Guide us and direct us, Lord, in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen.